0: The first lesson is taken from Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went back to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And then from chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas, and saw for the work I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Hear the word of the Lord.
1: Please stand for the gospel reading.
2: Reading from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of our Lord.
1: May the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, it's a great pleasure to be back with you, especially uh, on this feast day of St. Barnabas. As I look up, I can see one stained glass window dedicated in memory of uh, St. Barnabas from 1911. I think there's another one just on. Perhaps the, the first one on the wall on the side is also one to St. Barnabas. I look up here and I can see SB, which I assume is not someone's personal initials, it probably means St. Barnabas, in, the, in these stained glass windows. So um, it's very really meaningful because I've just returned uh, uh, before um, few, some weeks ago from Cyprus, where I was chairing the Anglican-Roman-Catholic International Theological Dialogue, and we are meeting in Cyprus. And when you go there, you have the sense of the the apostolic character of that place and of the church there. People um, really see Cyprus as one of the Bible lands, even though we probably, in our mind, people say, "I'm going to you know look at Bible lands." People go to modern Israel and modern Palestine, but the uh, just the readings we heard they they are stretching our imagination a bit wider than that. And uh, those that um, uh, uh, Antioch. Uh, the places that are mentioned in in Cyprus where uh, Barnabas has come from and goes to with Paul. These are still very live places and I'm glad that there's a a window here of my predecessor in office, James Morehouse, the second bishop of Melbourne, who went from that role to go and uh, be the bishop of Manchester in England. So... Um, It's said that he uh, became quite exhausted in his work here in Melbourne, having a long episcopate, and on the boat, which was a long journey back in the day, going back to England, uh, kind of got his energy back and regretted greatly that he'd resigned his office here and was returning to um, a new role. So there's uh, a lot that I think we might be able to unpack about vocation today as we recall your your. Uh, sesquicentenary year coming to its end in this way. It's interesting the number of people um, you run into in life who uh, often claim to be some sort of Christian or church alumni. You know, people who once were something. And people will gladly tell you how they were once, you know, perhaps very connected. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, the reasons that people became disconnected are not always that apparent even to them. But often, as you, you hear the stories, there's sometimes a story of uh, a, a difficult personal relationship or uh, feeling overlooked or you know, something was happening. And then, you know, in its own way, a new pattern of life and a new convention of how their time and their attention became occupied. It's always, to me, a very regrettable thing because I think most of all, as I have to open to you, Christianity is not just... About a mental attitude or an opinion but it is about the whole of our life it is about action and I always struck how consistently Jesus expects a physical and not just a mental response from people so whether it is follow me to those who would be his disciples or go and wash in the pool of Siloam to the blind beggar or sell everything you have to the rich young ruler or to Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, Jesus expects people, that he interacts with, to do something. Just think something. And Jesus forces this point when he asks his doubters in the second chapter of Mark's Gospel, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? And we see this principle at work today in our gospel reading, where Barnabas is discerned by the church in Antioch to be set apart and then sent to go and do something for God's work. And our faith as Anglicans is strongly incarnational. We value the physical, the material, as our Lord did in taking human flesh and becoming one of us. The usual text at the consecration of a church building is Genesis 28, verses 16 to 19, and you probably know that, the passage in which Jacob receives God's blessing in a dream and awakes to exclaim, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Words used when a building like this is set apart for the purposes of God from the, the ordinary circumstances of the world. And today our focus is on the 150 years of ministry here at St. Borwin, and this last celebration of the parish's sesquicentenary year. Built by three generations of the Mailing family, worship commenced in St. Barnabas Church on the 22nd of December, 1872. And I think what a joyous Christmas they must have all had just three days later after that. I don't know, but you can imagine, that was the kind of the the building deadline they were building towards, because, you know, why wouldn't you? You'd think, let's open things. Here we are, present in a growing and a new community. Let us come and welcome them to the great celebration of the the Christmas festival. And according to the uh, 1912 prayer book dictionary, the effect of the ceremony of consecration performed by the bishop as the representative of God, to separate the building from profane to accept it on behalf of God and to devote it to God's worship as a place wherein God vouchsafes his continual presence and accepts the devotions of the faithful. Well, we live in an age that struggles to accept the division of things into sacred and profane and I probably don't have to give you too many examples to look at that, but anything I kind of see, the pictures of that dark mofo event in Tasmania, it will always have sacred images, but then often in kind of ways that are ridiculing them or, um, you know, profaning them. And I think, well, this is, this is a different kind of a conception of what are the things that are holy to God and what are the things that are unholy and uh, how they might be improved and redeemed towards becoming holy. It's a different way of looking at things. And for us to convince our neighbours or sceptical workmates that there's something qualitatively different about this place on account of all those events that commenced 150 years ago is probably likely to stretch our own capacity for belief, let alone of those who do not share our reverence. It's a wonderful thing for me to uh, work near St. Paul's Cathedral. And just to see the people who come in there, you know, many on a daily basis, from all sorts of walks of life, from all sorts of world religions, but who find that in that way. They find it to be a sacred place. And people come and they bring... I can see them just sitting there, often with tears. Because they know that somehow this place speaks to them of uh, stuff that's different from what's outside the door. Just the hustle and bustle, and you know, you, you get by only by your striving, but a place where the grace of God might be imagined, might be encountered, where your burdens might be brought and they might be lifted. And that's the kind of vision that parish churches, places that have been consecrated, kept for special use, uh, they have that sense. And I hope this place is like this in this local community. It's one of the great gifts of churches that can remain open during the week. I know it all gets complicated with, um, you know, people sometimes doing random things in places, but it's a wonderful gift, because uh, the stories that I've heard over many years of just people who are the almost like the pilgrims and wanderers who just don't quite know what they're looking for when they can encounter a holy place and have that holy place interpreted to them by the people of God, can be very powerful. Well, much has changed from the scene of those events back in 1872. Uh, and, you know, we know that there are people who can probably worship in all sorts of places. Uh, perhaps done that in the northern... Be in a hall like I think some friends are in your hall today, uh, or perhaps in a... I've been to a church in a pub once to speak to them or in a cinema. But I think that'd be diminishing the intention and God's gift to us of a place like this. This show it is part of the new creation. I think that's why the stained glass windows are there, not so we can gaze out and see the beautiful surrounds, but so that we are looking at things which are of, generally of the scriptures, things which are evocative of the new creation. It's an interesting thing when you think about it, and you see that most probably graphically in an orthodox church with all the icons, the great painting of the Christ, the Panto Krator, usually in the central dome, if you've ever been to some of those buildings, they really are bringing to the present what the heavenly realm is like and what it means for us to be God's people. And we'd be wrong to think that this place is only significant because of the sentiment of those people, like you and me perhaps, for whom it matters. This is the diametrically opposite position to that intended by those who gathered for the first service here 150 years ago. They sincerely intended that the sanctity of this place was declared to be objectively true. It would not just be a matter of opinion or sentiment, but true in fact, that this church was forever claimed back for God out of a fallen creation. And just as the history of the world without Christ, it trended away from the recognition of its creator, so a new history of salvation and redemption will be declared here, as an anticipation of the renewal of all things in christ and the faithful ministries that we celebrate over many years the faithful people who have come and gathered for worship have been caught up into that renewal the people of god the people of christ this vision place and a holy people who would continually worship the holy god through our lord jesus christ and we're the inheritors of that visionary legacy so many years after. To live as the baptized people of God implies that this kind of change is one that we're eagerly cooperating with God, who, through the Spirit, is effecting this transformation in us. That's how our membership of the church is good, as a community with Christ as its head, that calls us to be truly who we are as new creations in Christ of this church that we witness today faith to be in confirmation so for the blessings that God has so freely given you we're often not so good at counting our blessings if we followed the press even worse, the talkback radio shows and the current affairs televisions programs and what you might pick up through social media, you could find many reasons to convince you that we were probably the most unfortunate people on earth. You know, rising interest rates, rising fuel prices, a state budget and deep deficit, you know, the list goes on. You name it and you've heard it all before. But the reality is that most Astrogans still live a very... Fortunate life, as that old book, paired with many people in other parts, where the struggle for mere existence occupies all the efforts of their daily round, war and displacement. The great number of people now who are displaced internally in their countries in the world, and that doubled in the in the last five years. The people who are struggling with limited or no education, health services, non existent, and the crushing debt burden of developing countries, they're realities for so many people around the world. And we're in that same human community, and God has revealed in his son the desire that we all come, fortunate ones like us and those who struggle just for their very existence, all come to be equal inheritors of knowing his love, his forgiveness and his peace, because we are all made in his image and likeness. We have in our time become the inheritors of the task that Jesus entrusted to the disciples when he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As Barnabas was sent, so are we. The confidence we have in meeting this responsibility can rest only on the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. All else will have its failures and shortcomings. Flesh and blood will disappoint. Leaders will falter in their vision. Followers will suffer from lack of resolve. Our present age often looks only to human frailty and seeks to only understand the church as a human institution even though our culture calls us to novelty and new ways of looking at everything, and even proposes the comparability of many different religious traditions and teachings, I take assurance that what God has revealed in Jesus is all that I need to know for salvation and peace with God into eternity. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the end of the age. What an encouragement for us to continue in our discipleship as we encounter Christ in the many realities of our world and daily life. Last year, Joy and I were in Canterbury for the meeting of the bishops and spouses of the Anglican Communion, the Lambeth Conference of Bishops. Over 600 uh, bishops and spouses and people around them gathered. It was a big event. And as I sat in... (coughs) Canterbury Cathedral, that ancient and holy place, I had a strong sense of how our faith has passed to us across both many generations and different cultures. As I sat there in Canterbury Cathedral, I was reminded of the verse in Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. Our times of origin. And the stories and people associated with them are instructive for us as we seek to make our own faithful journey of discipleship in the circumstances of our own day and time. A wonderful thing, you've got the sesquicentenary history that's being shared and available today. Read it and reflect on it in that way. What can be learned about faithful discipleship from those who have gone before us? kind of risky things did they do in their generation that, perhaps differently, we are being called to have an imagination and a vision to do in our generation. And as I conclude these words I want to encourage you all to continue to grow in prayer. In its own way, prayer can be understood as the great gift of imagination, transformed by the grace of God in Christ and experienced as the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the christian believer in prayer we are in the presence of the creator of all things who has declared his love for us in christ and gifted us with the living presence of the spirit who speaks from our heart in the words of prayer that we offer to the father in jesus own teaching he's left for us the words that should be on our lips and hearts each day as we pray The Lord's Prayer has for 2,000 years been at the heart of the Christian's approach to God. What a gift we have been given by our Lord in the words of our liturgy that has us say these words as our shared prayer when we gather together in worship. Continual consciousness of God, constant appreciation of God's gift of life to us and a deep awareness of the needs of others constitute the character shaped by the daily routine of prayer centered around our Lord's own teaching in the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to read to you now um, these words from John Wesley's Covenant Service, and I'd like you to listen to them and consider what challenge they make for each of you as you contemplate your own life, the things you bring into this service, the weighty things that perhaps are on your heart, the challenges you know you'll face as you leave this door, as well as God's many opportunities for us. And this is what John Wesley had said. Christ has many services to be done. Some are easy. Others are difficult. Some bring honour. Others bring reproach. Some are suitable to our natural inclinations and material interests, others are contrary to both. In some, we may please Christ and please ourselves. In others, we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. Yet the power to do all these things is given to us in Christ, who strengthens us. Therefore, let us make this covenant of God our own. Let us give ourselves to him trusting in his promises and relying on his grace amen